and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy chapter number 2. This is uh, Sunday school time, and they tell me in Sunday school you're not really supposed to preach, you're supposed to teach Sunday school, uh, and so uh, that's, that's what I'm going to do, and, and uh, I'm not really sure how to, you know, distinguish between the two, other than this is Sunday school, so we're going to call it teaching, and, and that's what it'll be, Amen. 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 So if you found 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and you are able to stand, would you stand with me while we read the Word of God? 2 Timothy chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 1, it says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful day you've given to us. Lord, thank you for the the good time of singing, rejoicing together this morning already. We just ask that now you would use your word in our hearts and lives, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, these first eight verses... Uh, did I tell you 2 Timothy right off the bat? Oh my goodness. Well, go to 1 Timothy now, and uh, then we'll start over. Amen? <laughs> Sorry about that. We're in 1 Timothy chapter number 2, and I would blame it on my bifocals, except they're not working right either. So, uh, it can't be that. But uh, it's hard to miss in these first eight verses of this chapter what he's talking about. I mean, you don't, you'd have to, you'd have to, you know, look really hard to find something other than the fact that he's talking about prayer here. And that's, he's emphasizing it. He's telling us what it is, why it's important, uh, when to do it, how to do it, all that kind of stuff. And it's something that quite often is overlooked in our Christian life. We pray. We do. We pray before we eat. We get together, we pray before the service, we pray after the service, we pray for this and we pray for that, and, and we have prayer meetings and we give our requests and we pray for things that, that are burdens on our hearts, and, and we sometimes take for granted the, the fact that we as human beings, through the act of prayer, get to walk right into the presence of God Almighty and tell Him whatever we choose to tell Him. And we can do it any time we want. And sometimes we, we just, it's such a, a matter of rote that we don't stop and think about the fact that we get to talk to God. Do you know how many people don't even think they can talk to God? I mean, they think they have to go find somebody to talk to God for them. And we know that's not true. We can just march right in the presence of God any day, any time we want and spend as long as we want there. And we can just unburden our heart and we can just talk to him as long as we want. What a wonderful, wonderful privilege it is. But not only is it a privilege, it's a responsibility. 
See, it's not just something that we get to do. It's something God says we need to do and we're supposed to do. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Prayer, both privilege and responsibility. First of all, here in this passage, we see the exhortation to pray. It just starts right out with that. Look, if you would, at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So he just, he just lays it right out there. Supplications, prayers, he just lays it right out, tells us what to do. And there are some differences in those words. Those are not just synonyms for saying you should pray. Supplications are, are entreaties and petitions and earnest requests. And you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew or anything else to do that. All you have to do is look it up in the dictionary. That's what it means. Entreaties and requests and not only supplications, but prayers. Now, we think, hold it. Aren't we talking about prayer anyway? You need to understand that the word pray and the word prayer, we, we think of it strictly in the context of talking to God. But the word itself doesn't really mean that. It just means making a request. Uh, you see it in, in literature of days gone by, and, and you'll hear it in you know, old plays, and old, I pray thee this, and I pray thee that. And, and it simply means, here's what I'm asking. And so when you see that, you make supplications, you make prayers. According to the 1828 Green Dictionary, it says for prayers, asking for a favor with earnestness. I think that's a pretty good description, don't you? It, in that same dictionary, back when they knew how to speak English, here's, here's how prayer is defined. Are you ready? It almost makes you think that this guy knew God a little bit. In worship, a solemn address to the supreme being, consisting of adoration or an expression of our sense of God's righteous, or excuse me, glorious perfections, confession of our sins, supplication for mercy and forgiveness, intercession for blessings on others, and thanksgiving or an expression of gratitude to God for His mercies and benefits. Now that's a pretty good definition of prayer, wouldn't you say? I mean, as a matter of fact, if you, you won't find that in today's dictionary. That's not going to be there because half of that would be considered hate speech. But, but that's the definition. That's what it is. And he says supplications, prayers, intercessions. Intercessions are when you are praying for someone else. Uh, last night we had a, a men's prayer meeting and, and requests were made. This person has this problem and this one is, this has this struggle. And, and we prayed and we prayed for other people. And God says, I want you to do that. I want you to not just make your supplications, your own requests, your prayers and your earnest desires, but intercessions for others as well. And look what it says at the end of that verse. For all men. For all men. Huh. That's, that's easier said than done. It is. You know, some people, <laughs> if they're on death's door, um, there are worse things, amen, than, than that they should just go over the edge. I mean, don't look so spiritual. You feel that way too sometimes. Uh, but God says, I want you to pray and make intercessions and supplications for all men. And then it gets worse in verse 2. Look at verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now he's telling us not just, not just I want you to pray and exhorting us to pray, but now he's telling us what it looks like. He says, I want you to pray for all men. That means people that you like and people that you don't like. Yes? People that you don't like. Don't pretend there aren't people you don't like. There are people who don't like you. There are. And you need to pray for people who don't like you as well. For all men. There are no qualifiers there. And then he says, he gets more specific, for kings. Now, we don't have a king. Thank God for that. That was, that was decided during the Revolutionary War. And we don't even have to care about kings anywhere. And that's a blessing. We don't have to care what goes on with the lunatics called the royal family in England. I mean, they're not ours. They're not our responsibility. Uh, we, they're not ours. Amen? Amen? Praise God for that. So we don't have a king. We have a different system. And instead of a king, we have sort of a president. And, and so it, it is not violating the context to say that God wants us to pray for our president and our leaders in our country. Now, get in your mind again. You don't just pray for people you like. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking right now. But hold it now. Here's what these political leaders have done. And here's what this guy said. And here's what this woman said. And, and what they're doing is opposed to God. And it's opposed to everything right and good. And it's just, it's wicked and vile. And how am I supposed to pray for them? Notice, God did not say that you're supposed to pray for the king that everything he's doing will prosper. He didn't say that. He just said, pray for the king and for all who are in authority. We say, well, but if, what, if I, what if I want him to fail in the things that he's doing? You pray for him. Well, the first thing you pray for is his salvation. And that's, that's an easy one, right? Our, our president's greatest need is to be saved. It is. He's a man who has, has no spiritual inclination whatsoever. He, he claims to be Catholic, and he doesn't even know what that is. He really doesn't. He's at odds with what he claims that he is because he's so non-religious that it means nothing to him. And he most certainly does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. His greatest need, and, and honestly, I'm not trying to be ugly or mean, he is not a well man. He is not a well man, and he is losing his, his ability to, to think very, very quickly and the time for him to get saved is going to be short. He's not going to be around too much longer. And we need to pray that somebody somewhere along the line can get in there and give him the gospel. I mean the real live gospel, not some kind of weird religion, but the gospel. So, well, that's, I don't think that could happen. God can do that. God can do that. All it would take would be some, some aide or somebody in the, in, the, in the White House, on the staff, who genuinely knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't tell me God couldn't open an opportunity for that person to genuinely present the gospel to him. They most certainly could. It could happen. Listen, when Paul is in prison uh, over in, in Philippians, he said that people in Caesar's household got saved. 
God, God knows how to do this. And that we should be praying that God would send somebody who could have the influence and the opportunity to reach him with the gospel before it's too late. He desperately needs to be saved. Not only him, but the vice president and, and, and all the rest. They, they don't need politicians saved. You know, politicians love to get their picture taken on Sunday, walking out of the church with the Bible that they've never opened and somebody gave to them as a present. That, and, and they pretend, oh, we're good, we're Christians. No, they need Jesus. They need to get saved. That's what they desperately need, and that's what we ought to pray. If you can't pray anything else for the king or the president or those in authority, pray that they get saved. Can you imagine how that would drastically revolutionize our country? I mean, if, if the president or, or the vice president were to get saved and stand up in front of everybody and say, let me tell you what happened to me last week. Somebody gave me this tract and somebody gave me this Bible and they sat down and they, I found out I was a sinner and I was lost and going to hell and, and I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. It'd probably be the last thing you ever heard them say. But what a, what a wonderful impact that would have. Can you just imagine what would happen? That'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Do you think God would be pleased if we prayed that that might happen? Uh, I, I think God would be pleased with that. For kings, for all who are in authority, salvation. Listen, you ought to pray that they have wisdom. They need wisdom. A lot of the things they do are just genuinely stupid. I mean, really stupid. And they need wisdom. And they're not going to get it from their counselors and they're not going to get it from their, uh, their you know, fundraisers. It's going to have to come from God somehow along the way. So I, I just don't know about that. Listen, you can go back in the Old Testament if you want and find wicked kings who all of a sudden God put it in their heart to do something right. It's happened. It has happened. Listen, just in the last, in the last year, our, our Supreme Court, one of the most messed up things in, in our country, got a couple of things right. It was like, it was almost, it was shocking, breathtaking. Uh, it was shocking for us, and it's stuff we'd won for a long time. For the other side, they thought the world had ended. Really, they still think the world ended. Uh, what happened? Well, God influenced somebody's thinking somewhere along the line, and they, whether it was on purpose or accidentally, they did something right. Thank God for that. Listen, we've been praying for that kind of stuff for a long, long time. Sometimes, sometimes it takes a while. But God is, God's hands are not tied just because of the person you're praying for. We ought to pray for wisdom. We ought to pray for health. I told you, our, I'm not trying to be ugly. Our president is not a well man. He's really not. And if, and if he doesn't make it through his term, I promise you, you will wish he had. So, you know, <laughs> this is pray for pray for health. Pray that pray that our leaders would have a willingness to follow God. You know, there are some in the Senate and the Congress, and they and they do know what's right, but because of the influence on them, quite often they don't do it. They do know, and we need to pray that they would just be willing to do what they know is right. We ought to pray that evil works would fail. Well, we ought to pray. Listen, when, when uh, the president or the governor or somebody signs some kind of order that's wicked and against God, we ought to pray that it would fail. And we ought to pray that it would be overturned. 
That is not wrong. Amen? We ought to do that. We need to pray for those in authority, but we ought not pray that their wickedness succeeds. We ought to pray that their wickedness fails and that God would be glorified. Remember, remember who was the king when all this is written. He was the emperor. His name was Nero. He was crazy. He was crazy. And he was persecuting Christians. And he was doing all manner of wicked, vile, evil things. And he was literally destroying his own empire from within. It's not that different from where we are today. And that's the guy. God said, pray for that guy. Pray for that guy. So we need to pray for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority, civic, local government, the whole thing. Listen, in the day in which we live, it's going to get harder and harder to get along with those in authority as they turn against God further and further but we need to continue to pray for them. We need to continue. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse number one, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And then we see down here in verse number two, the exhortation from the Savior. Look at, look at what happens here in verse two. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Why does he say, I want you to pray for all men, especially for kings and all those who are in authority, so that you can live a quiet and peaceable life? Well, that that sounds selfish. Isn't that just selfish that I pray for those in authority so that I can live a quiet and peaceable life? No, no, no. Stop and think about that for a minute. And, And we'll see it here in the next couple of verses. God has a purpose and a plan. And if his people can live a quiet and peaceable life, you know what they can do? They can focus on spreading the gospel to other places. There are, I promise you that there are people, there are churches in Ukraine today who are not focused on sending the gospel around the world. You know what they're focused on? Not getting bombed today. And they're hiding out and they're going from place to place and trying to stay away from where the bombs landed the other day and trying to go over here. They're not leading a quiet and peaceable life. And because of that, all they can focus on is self-preservation. We are leading a quiet and peaceable life. You know what that means? That means we don't have to focus on bombs falling and trying to feed our family and scrounge up enough things for us to eat and a place for us to sleep and somewhere to hide out just in case there's an attack. No, we don't have to worry about that today. We can focus on those things on the wall, those missionaries. Uh, we We can focus on spreading the gospel everywhere and bringing kids in for Sunday school so they can hear the gospel. And we can do all that because we're leading a quiet and peaceable life. He said, you pray for those who are in authority so that you may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And you can focus on the things God wants you to do rather than just surviving. And then he says in verse 3, it's acceptable to God. It's the ideal for the Christian that we live a quiet and peaceable life so that we can then focus on doing what God wants us to do. Verse number 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? How are are all men going to hear the gospel? Well, if we can live quiet and peaceable lives, then we can focus on sending missionaries all around the world so everybody can hear the gospel. And that is in line with the will of God. Yes, I I did say that. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish 
but that all should come to repentance. Listen, if, if you have a Calvinistic tendency in your body, uh, verse, verse number four should just scrub it right out of there. And that, you can't read that and be a Calvinist unless you reject the word of God. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? Does that mean all men will be saved? Well, if you're a Calvinist, it either means that all men have to be saved or else it's a misinterpretation. No, the truth is, God wants all men to be saved, but not all men will accept the gospel. That's the truth. It's our job to put it out there so they can get to it, though, because God wants them to be saved. God wants them to hear the truth and have their life transformed and their soul saved. And, and it doesn't matter who they are and it doesn't matter where they are. He wants all men to be saved. If you die and go to hell, you will do so in opposition to the will of God for your life. It's not God's will for you to die and go to hell. And if you do it, it'll be your choice, not his choice. Amen? You see, we see that he wants all saved. And so if we live a quiet and peaceable life, we can focus on that. Listen, the, the folks in, in, uh, in Middle Eastern countries where they can't even walk through the street with a Bible or sit in a church service like this, they're not focused on reaching their community for Christ. They're focused on not getting their head cut off. And that's natural. Thank God we don't have to worry about that. We can focus on spread, spreading the gospel. And we can reach people. Then we see, uh, we see the exhortation about the Savior. Look, if you would, down here in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. We see just a little bit about our Savior. There's one God. Not, uh, there's not three uh, we, we believe what the Bible says, that our God is one God made up of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal. There's not one that's less important than the other. They're all God. Individually, they're God. Together, there's one God. And he's made up of those three parts. You say, oh, explain that to me. I can't. I just give you the best shot I could right there. Uh, <laughs> I can't really successfully explain that to you, and uh, neither can anybody else. Uh, it's, it's a little bit beyond us. And I suspect, Brother Walker, when we get to heaven and we're standing in the presence of God, we'll, we'll look and we'll see our triune God, and at that point, we'll understand, oh, so that's how that works. Until then, we just believe what God says, amen? Amen. And, and we trust that one day he'll explain to us exactly how all of those kind of things work. But there's one God, and then he tells us one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad we have a mediator? We don't have a priest that we have to go to. We don't have a bishop that we have to go to and make an appointment. We don't have some place we have to go. No, we already have that in Jesus Christ. And we don't have to go find him because he's always there and he'll never leave us and never forsake us. We don't have to go to a certain spot. 
We don't have to be in a certain position and we don't have to have certain conditions and we don't have to light some candles and do some things in order to get him to hear us. No, we've always got that mediator with us between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, be careful. I told you our God is is three persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. The man Christ Jesus, he's talking about that's God, the Son, and he was all man. He was also completely and totally God. Again, I can't effectively explain that to you, but, but I do want to say be careful to go too far either direction. Because he took on the form of flesh and took the form of a servant and became like us and died for our sins and was all man. And yet he was still the God of heaven. There's, a, there's a, an ad campaign thing going on. He gets us. Uh, it's there are there are lots of issues with it because it's uh, it's a little hokey. Uh, I understand what they're doing, and they're sincere people. They really are. They're sincere as the day is long, and they just want to introduce people to Jesus, but they are completely avoiding His divinity. And all they're talking about is His humanity. And if all you have is a human Jesus, you don't have a Savior. Uh, that's not enough. A human Jesus is not enough. Yes, yes, he gets us, he understands us, but he was still God. And the reason that he came and lived among us, like us in our flesh, was to show us we're sinners and we need a Savior, and he died for us. Uh, A man can't do that. God did that. Amen? Yes, he was all man, absolutely. And yet he was all God. Don't, don't, be careful not to jump in a ditch on either side of the road. You go with what the Word of God says and you stay there and you don't emphasize just one aspect of who Jesus was. Uh, some, of, some of that just, it, just be careful. Just be careful. It goes too far in one direction and that's a dangerous thing. Because if Jesus were not God in the flesh, if He were not God, He could not have died for your sins. It would have meant nothing. He would have only been a martyr. And that is not enough. That is not enough. We see, uh, because of this, we have something called the the priesthood of the believer. Now, that's a a wonderful and important truth. And it's what we already talked about. I don't have to go find a priest somewhere uh, to go into the presence of God for me. I get to do it myself. Isn't that exciting? Do you know how many people around the world think they have to go find somebody to talk to God for them? I'm glad we don't have to do that. But we can just march right into the throne room of Almighty God because we are priests before God. We can come boldly into the presence of God at any time, according to the book of Hebrews. And then we see the work of Christ, of course, the redemption of mankind. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. He just reminds us of his apostleship and his stature here, and he sees the the privilege of what he gets to do. He says, I'm a a, a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. It's kind of like in verse number 12 of chapter 1, where it appears that he's just excited to be in the ministry. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. 
And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It's like the Apostle Paul steps back and says, wow, look what I get to do. I get to be part of this because of the goodness of God. And then this section closes out with verse number eight, which is another exhortation to pray. It's repeated. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Isn't that something? He's already said we're supposed to pray. He's already told us how important it is. He's already told us why it's important, how it affects us, how we're supposed to do it, who we're supposed to pray for. And then he gets down to the end and says, just in case you didn't get it, I want you to pray. And I want you to do it everywhere. Well, it's a good thing we don't have to go to a certain place and find a certain person to to bring our request to God if we're going to do it everywhere. You couldn't do that. Have you ever have you ever prayed in a strange place? Like going down the road? You know, you're just going down the road. I know, Brother Walker, I know you had with that big old bus going down the road. People have this delusion that you can stop as quickly as they can stop. And they pull in front of you with their little smart car and slam the brakes on. And for a good part of the year, we pull a 42-foot fifth wheel behind our dual-wheel truck. And we're 50-some feet long. And, and you can't just stop like that. I mean, you can put the brakes on, but you don't just stop. I mean, we were going through Akron, Ohio, the land of perpetual road construction. I have been driving through Akron, Ohio for 27 years, and they still don't have the road done. And and every time you go through, they detour you a different way. One time you have to go up this way and around. Another time you've got to go down here. and, And your GPS does not know. And so you just have to follow the sign that they put up the day before you got there and be ready to turn or you're not going to make it. Especially when you're pulling something big, you, you really got to watch. And we were coming through there last year uh, in the fall and we were coming up that way and I saw the sign. I saw the sign. It said, we're going to have to take this exit and we're going to have to go around this way and come up and I'm ready. And, uh, and the guy in front of us saw the sign and the guy in front of him was not paying attention to the sign. And, and we got up there and now there's concrete barriers and you got to decide real fast which way you're going. And he's over here and then he goes this way and then he cut back over and, and right in front of the guy in front of us slams on their brakes. They're scooting over the side. I said, hang on. And I stomped on the brake pedal and, and we slid. We did. I mean, there's smoke coming up out of the, the, <laughs> the side of the road. And then they all got straightened out and away we went. I've had to pray several times in those instances because you say to them, hang on. And then you say, Lord, (laughs) help, help. Because we don't know what's about to happen. And if this guy in front of us doesn't straighten out and go, we are going to hit him. And then he's going to hit that guy and somebody's going to rear end us. And who knows what's about to happen? Help. Listen, I'm glad we can do that anytime and God hears that just as much as if you get down on your knees over here and say oh God it, he hears it just as much because you're his child and you can walk into the throne room of God anytime you want aren't you glad for that I am he says I, I want you to pray all the time do it do it everywhere lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting 
Don't don't wait for a certain spot. Don't say, well, I'm going to have to pray about that. So uh, next uh, next Wednesday night, I'll, I'll pray about that. No, do it now. Do it right there. Do it as you're walking down the hallway. Do it as you're driving. In the, do it all the time, everywhere. And it says lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, uh, again, he told us who we're supposed to pray for. And sometimes, sometimes we probably pray a little bit with some wrath. You know, as you're saying, Lord, help, don't let us hit this car. You, sometimes you're saying, Lord, let that guy get in an accident down the road because this is his fault. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't pray for that person that you're really mad at, that something bad will happen to them. Shame on you. Don't do that. Because that's just your own wrath. Don't do that. Don't pray that way. God's not pleased by that. Do it without wrath and do it without doubting. Now, uh, this, is, this is not late night religious television, uh, name it and claim it theology. That's not what this is. It's not that you're not doubting that, that God has to do what you told him to do when you told him to do it. And he must give it to you because you claimed it in Jesus name. And, and no, 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 no. If that's the way you're functioning, go ahead and doubt it because it ain't going to work. No, what, what you don't doubt when you pray is that no matter what, no matter how God chooses to answer the prayer, it's going to be right and it's going to be for your good and for his glory. Because we know that from Scripture. You don't have to doubt it. Now, you can ask for anything you want, and you should. And whatever burden is on your heart, you dump it out to him and you ask and you ask him to fix it and you ask him to heal it and you ask him ask for all of it. You can't ask too much for God. But as you're asking everything, you understand that whatever he decides to do in that situation is going to be right. And if he chooses to not heal it or fix it, or then you need to trust him and not doubt that what he did was right. You can pray without doubting. And it's him that you're not doubting. Amen. Because sometimes, you know as well as I do, sometimes the things you pray for, God does not give you. And he does not do the way that you asked. Liz was diagnosed uh, last year in August. We found out she had this report of cancer. And, and that was the beginning of, you know, we wonder what's going to happen next. And what do we do? And, and we were in Idaho. And we weren't going to be home for quite some time. And, and our prayer was that God would be glorified. And then we asked that he would fix it. That's what we asked. When we got home the last week of August, she got immediately into her gynecological oncologist. And on Tuesday, she had her appointment and she had her surgery on Friday. And when we went back a couple months later for the thing, the doctor said, there is no longer any sign of anything. You're completely clear. I don't ever want to see you again. That's what you want your oncologist to say. I never want to see you again. Do you, you know, that's what we prayed for. That's what we asked for. That it would be something that could be fixed, taken care of. God would clean it all up. And I, I mean, it was just as smooth as smooth could be. It was just, well, it was probably the year before that. A friend of ours, preacher's wife, had a, a mass in her abdomen. 
and they found out it was cancer, and they opened her up, and it was everywhere. And those people prayed just like we did, that God would fix it, and it would be able, and they were going to remove that, and and it went from bad to worse, and she's in heaven today. I I don't know why. I don't know why we're good and we're here, and and there's a preacher over there in Georgia broken-hearted and his teenage daughter broken-hearted because she's gone. I don't understand why God answered here one way and here a different way. But I know he's always right. I know that. And I'm not going to start doubting that now because he's never done wrong. He's never done wrong to me or anybody that I've ever seen. And so I'm not going to doubt him just because things look a little iffy at the moment. I'm going to trust him. Amen. So when you pray, you do it without wrath and without doubting. Prayer is a wonderful privilege. It is. We get to, we get to talk to God. And He listens. That's the amazing part. You remember the prophets of Baal over there on, on Mount Carmel? They're jumping up and down on the altar and screaming and crying and cutting themselves. Why? Because their God didn't listen to anything. All Elijah had to do was just say a few words and God heard it all and boom. That's our God. That's the same God that hears you when you see something going on and you say, Lord, I need some help with this. That's the very same God paying just as much attention to you as he did to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Thank God for that. What a privilege and what a responsibility. Wonderful responsibility as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here this morning. Lord, thank you for the the challenge to us in this chapter. Uh, God, all too often we take for granted the fact that we get to talk to you whenever we want and that you listen and that you act on our behalf. Lord, this morning I pray that you would just fill us with a sense of awe over all that again. And we'll just thank you for all that you do and ask you to bless in the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Appreciate it.